Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Four Hours at the Capitol explores the historic events of January 6, 2021, focuses on the facts of the day itself and the impact on those who were there, and illuminates salient questions about the stark political divide in the United States, the culpability of those involved, and the fragility of an electoral process that is fundamental to a functioning democracy. The film is premiering on HBO beginning on October 20th, so be looking for this. And we're joined today by the director of the film, Four Hours at the Capitol, Jamie Roberts. Jamie, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Thank you so much. You know, this is one of those things that I am sure that there are dozens of filmmakers who have are chomping at the bit or eager to tell this story. And I'm so glad that it's being told. And, uh, and my compliments again to you on your level of access to the people involved in all of this. Uh, first of all, I think I know what inspired you to want to do a documentary about what happened on January 6th. But uh, getting this level of access and, and having the opportunity to talk to these people, what were the challenges that you faced in being able to, to gain that access? Yeah, um, I suppose that access that you talk about was one of the most important things for us because we really wanted people who were players, not pundits, people right on the front line who were there in the action rather than reflecting from further away. And I, I suppose what we really also wanted was, um, you know, we covered this in, in, impartial and independent. So we we kind of, we just, we tried to come at it, zero our expectations. And we really just wanted to speak to everybody that was there. And obviously there's some groups that are more difficult than others because they have um, uh, issues with either law enforcement or they're slightly suspicious of the media or who you could be and all, all these other reasons. So it really, it, it, it took time and it just took a lot of meetings and a lot of uh, Zooms and emails and, and just basically a lot of legwork. Uh, and then the, not necessarily building trust, but kind of widening networks. You connect with one person, you connect with another, and they might uh, you meet somebody else, and five people might say no. But then, um, for example, there's one individual he was there when Ashley Babbitt was shot, and you know I think I met him in a really roundabout way. It's five people that I was speaking to that were, we were kind of interested in talking to, and they actually introduced me just as oh, you should meet my friend Taylor who was there when Ashley Babbitt was shot. We spoke to him, and it turned out that you know he was pretty much there from the very start when the um, barricades were overwhelmed he went inside the building he was filming along the way and he was there when the woman was shot and it was those kind of really central experiences that we wanted to use to build the field around and i really thank you for uh, for bringing that into the conversation because it really elevates this documentary it is about as immersive uh, an experience in terms of this particular event on January 6th as that I've seen. We've seen a lot of the footage. So, I mean, there's a fair amount of it that we've seen in news reports, but there's an awful lot here that I had not seen. And also uh, the people that you talk to, I will try my best not to drag you into a political you know, tirade or rant or polemic on my part. But I do think that hearing from the people in the crowd, the people who were obviously... Uh, who, as one person put it, Trump was brought to us by God. Or he's, a, he's something about the, the messenger of God of some you know, 
Anointed by God, I think. Yeah, it's the Corey Griffin Cowboys for Trump. Um, Cowboys for Trump. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And and there are things that are done in the course. Of, first of all, I will betray a bit of a prejudice here. What happened on January 6th was appalling and horrifying on many different levels. But to see some of these people who, if you met them on the street, you would not presume that they would be among these people who are riding inside the Capitol, which I thought really kind of brings another kind of frame to put around these people to kind of understand them. But also the Reverend who, to his credit, did something during the course of this to calm people down, at least prevent more havoc inside the Capitol. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, I think um, that was, I mean, when we first saw Dan Reed, the executive producer and myself, you know, we saw what was happening when it was on television, I think, like a lot of other people. And the first thing that was went through our minds is, you know, how, what, what is going through those people's minds and, and their hearts and minds as they're doing this. So it was really important for us to seek out those people who were both protesting, but also went in, inside the building to, and we did find this, you know, there's a range of people from, with various different beliefs. You have these kind of, uh, very violent, I suppose, antagonists, a handful of them, the, the people that, you know, smash through the windows and really engage with the, the, the violence continuously on the front lines. But then behind them, there's people who are kind of in tacit agreement who are following up and making this kind of mob. And within that, you have these different tribes of people. And some of them condone violence. A lot of them don't. A lot of them were kind of disgusted by it, but they still followed in and, and went into the building. So we were trying to kind of almost explore, I suppose, what are those different motivations with those different people? Be they QAnon followers and conspiracy theorists or, you know, people who just consider themselves as Republicans and they've gone there to follow what the president, you know, the president asked them to come down and they're following his instruction. Yeah, and I don't want to paint too broad a brush here, but a lot of them were refer to themselves as patriots. That seemed to be when they greeted one another often in the course of the film, we see them greeting each other as fellow patriots. And another thread that ran through a lot of the people that I saw in the film was a very strong Christian bent in terms of how they thought they what they were doing was maybe not all. See, this is the thing about talking about these people, about what happened and the people involved. I don't want to make everyone sound like they're the same person. I don't want them to all be lumped into one, into one basket, if you will. But a lot of them seem to believe this sort of Christian ideological um partnership with their political beliefs right yeah. there's, there's something infused about christianity and all of this yeah i mean you can see um Corey griffin who you talked about you know he he gives a he leads a prayer and there's a lot of people are kind of uh they're listening and holding up their hands and and, and i suppose when um when the q shaman you know and and his fellow protesters rioters they they enter the senate chamber you know one of the one of the things they do is hold a prayer together and um and so the kind of i suppose the christian faith does run through a large section of of the people who were who were there and it does connect with with donald trump and and, and president trump in a sense and i think that president trump has you know he's he's made no bones about kind of expressing his connections with the, the christian electorate and and um and i think that 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 has bound some of those individuals very closely with with him and that i suppose really it's um when we were breaking it down there was definitely a kind of there is a, a conservative christian element and then it felt like there was a a um a kind of a more conspiratorial 
uh, group that were there. And then you had kind of people who were predominantly Republican and, and those that's almost a Venn diagram that all intertwine. And it is kind of trying to unpick and just meet some of the individuals and see where their worldview comes from, because it was a very mixed bag of people. I mean, some of the, the Proud Boys, you know, they say that the, the kind of group they refer to as a, a right wing group. They were the people, those Proud Boys there who were right at the front, who, uh, who broke through the police lines initially. And, you know, there's quite a few of those say they're not even really interested in politics. They like to follow Donald Trump. But they didn't listen to the speeches. They're actually marching around the Capitol looking for opposing groups whilst Donald Trump's speech was actually happening. You know, that was the reality of the day. And I suppose that's where we were trying to go with the film is, OK, let's let's just take it back to who went where, when and what were those key moments. And, you know, whilst Donald Trump was speaking, these Proud Boy individuals were actually marching around the Capitol. They weren't actually there for the speech. Either. They started rushing barricades before Donald Trump actually even finished. It just occurred to me that there might be someone listening to our conversation who doesn't quite know the full story here. So, and just what you said, we we start, you're there, I believe around noon before the speeches begin, as people begin to gather on the Capitol grounds. And and then you start following people through, and this these people that you follow are threads that you pull all the way through the narrative, which I think is beautiful. It's just beautifully done in terms of there, almost everyone that we see significantly on, on screen, there's an arc to their story. There's an arc to their experience, which I think really gives us a much better understanding of what happened and why. But for anyone who doesn't know that on January 6th, uh, after speeches by Trump and others, for, not former, at the time, President Trump, and this is a point in which the Congress was about to certify the election. Vice President Pence was in the chamber, the Senate chamber, be beginning this process. And it was around this time things began to really break loose. Is that, a, am I giving a fair account of what? And again, that was the reason for us really breaking down the timeline and looking at the uh, where people were, when, and what was happening, because, you know, it becomes, I, I think what one of the shocking things is that, you know, some, much worse could have happened. You know, more lives could have been lost. And partly that's because you have, the Senate and the House of Representatives, you know, they were they were both still in session as the as the rioters had broken through the windows and were fighting with police and, and heading around the corridors of the Capitol, which if you think about if you worked in an office building and you heard a fire alarm, everybody would go outside straight away. So you had lawmakers continuing to try and go about their work whilst this, this violence was actually playing out in, you know, metres of, of where it was, it was all that was actually um, the space between uh, the people marauding through the, the corridors and the actual politicians themselves. And, you know, there's moments like with Officer Eugene Goodman, who leads a kind of uh, pack of, of rioters away from the Senate chamber, quite possibly saving people's lives. You know, these are key moments that had things happened in a different way, you know, either things could have played out very differently. And also, in addition to that, I've been talking about the people who were involved in the rioting out in the Capitol, outside the Capitol. But we also get the perspective of law enforcement. We get the perspective of people in Congress, in the House and Senate. So it's the it is the totality of the picture that you paint in four hours at the Capitol that makes this such an achievement, in my in my opinion. Let's talk a little bit about the people on the other side, the people that they that the people in coming into the Capitol were looking for in some way, or or were going to confront. Let's talk about 
uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, Dick Durbin, the, the, the different people that you were able to get to tell their side of the story. You know, with Democrats who are much more willing to speak about this than Republicans. With Republicans, we really, you know, we, we actually approached every single Republican member of Congress for this for this film. So that's hundreds of members of Congress, of which four responded. We interviewed three. One had COVID because we really wanted to understand, you know, what was the why were people what was the objection about? Um, and then what was what was the how did the day play out from a Republican perspective with the Democrats? You know, we it was a bit of a process of interviewing and, and one person and then finding out who, who else was there in the room, like literally going to the source to actually find out who was the witnesses. Were they in their office? Were they actually in the, um, were they trapped in the house? Uh, trying to kind of make sure that we were accessing people that were really in those kind of dramatic, important moments. And the, there are the three, the three kind of sections of the film, really. It's the protesters and then there's law enforcement, the Capitol Police who were initially overwhelmed and then the DC police who really had to come back and help them win back the capital. And then you have lawmakers themselves who really were the people who had no idea that this was happening for a long time and until rioters were literally at the door, you know, calling for Nancy Pelosi, calling for Mike Pence, trying to get into the Senate and the uh, the House of Representative chambers whilst they're trapped there with just, a f- you know, very, very few Capitol Police officers, which I think they... They all say that they were absolutely terrified, but also I think they were extremely shocked that um, that the defences of the Capitol were that weak. You know, they 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 expect they thought. I think uh, Congressman Eric Swalwell says himself. You know, he's uh, he thought this was the most well protected building in the world, and then you have this kind of group seemingly got in pretty easily. Is there an explanation as to why the people in the House and the Senate did not know for as long as they did not know? Do you did, did in your reporting uncover why they were? I mean, as you said, they were literally a few feet from the chamber when some of these officials realized that they were under attack. How is that possible? Some people have talked about a failure of imagination, but I think that, you know, it's not difficult to imagine it. If you have a large group of protesters coming to a, a barricade, they're going to want to get over and get in. So there's not that much to imagine there. But I mean, we do have in the film, one of the Capitol officers, um, Officer Winston Ponjon, you know, he he fought tooth and nail throughout the whole day to protect the Capitol. But he said at roll call first thing in the morning, there was no intelligence whatsoever. It was just a regular day and we'll see what comes. That's literally what he says. So really, there seems to have been a complete lack of, uh, of preparation and intelligence because this officer went into this day just thinking it was going to be like any other. There was going to be a kind of um, uh, a public order demonstration. But there was many more people. It was much more violent than he expected and he hadn't seen that coming at all it's this information will come out over the course of this house select committee looking into this that's the kind of pre-game stuff which i'm sure they're going to find out some very interesting things about why there wasn't there was a lot of intelligence i mean from after the fact i know that people knew for several days prior to the demonstration to the riot whatever you want to characterize it as that there was a there was a lot of activity, a lot of chatter online and in chat rooms. Through that, yeah, it, if anything, I think it was quite shocking that that wasn't picked up because, um, you know, we met we met journalists, protesters, and um, even some of the police who were just kind of showing themselves, showing each other. You know, in the, in the days before, if you see what's going to happen, like they were watching social media. You know, this wasn't it wasn't some kind of underground event that was going to happen. It was obvious. It seemed quite obvious that this was going to be. Uh, uh, you know, there was going to be a lot of people there and it was going to be very agitated. And a lot of people that were going seemed right. to know that. 
Right. Well, I just want to drill down a little bit on that because that's one part of it. But I mean, literally, when the, when the rioters are physically inside the Capitol and people in Congress and the House and Senate still did not know, that's the part that is completely baffling to me. I mean, putting aside the intelligence prior to the, to the rioting, how is it possible that the Capitol was breached and immediately people on the House and Senate were not notified? I don't, that's the part I don't get. That is what's quite shocking. I think that you have um, the political process continues inside the, the chambers whilst you have, and, and there's, there's messages you can see in the, in the film, you know, you see there's messages coming in and out to the, uh, to the, to the members of Congress and the House Sergeant at Arms and the, and the people that are there, but it seems to be just messages that, and it's like, everything's fine. We're going to continue on. I think there is this kind of, and, and it may be, you know, it's, it's to be respected, this kind of real want to drive for democracy to keep moving forward, to not, not shut down. But there reaches a point when you think this is, this is extremely dangerous now. And, and that point was definitely reached. I mean, speaking to the officers that were on the ground, you know, a lot of them, their radios got ripped off them. Uh, they were finding it very difficult to monitor the radios, even some of the uniform that um, some of the protective uniform, when you put that on, you can't actually wear your radio in the way that you normally would. So communication, I think as, as soon as that first barricade was overwhelmed and the numbers, the sheer numbers happened, really everything kind of just descended to chaos from there. And I think it was after that point, it was very difficult to get any organization and people are actually just, you know, they're kind of the police are fighting tooth and nail at that point. Yeah. One of my listeners were speaking with, Jamie Roberts, he's the director of this remarkable documentary film. What can I say? It's just an amazing, immersive experience of four hours at the Capitol. In the last couple of minutes I have with you, the first indication in the film, and I believe there's a couple of factors as to what what we were just talking about, I think why it happened the way it did was, first of all, Congress was there for some very serious business to certify the election. And this was something that had been talked about for weeks after the election when Tr- President Trump, President Trump at the time, was talking about the stolen election. There have been re- multiple reports in the media about his attempts to subvert this particular event from moving forward to, to the certification of the election. So I can imagine that a determination on the part of the people in the House and Senate to get this done. Even Vice President Mike Pence seemed determined to make it happen. And I think we have some context now as to why he was so determined and what he knew at the time that all this was happening. Not necessarily about the writing, but about the political machinations that have been going on. So there's that. But the first indication in the film, and I believe probably in that in the, that chamber, was when one of the representatives yelled over to the Republican caucus, you're responsible for this. You're, you brought this on us or something to that effect, right? Was that the first yeah. indication? I think that there's so there's uh, there's communications coming in, but it's all um, from what the, the the members of Congress, um, you know, they say they told us that, you know, the communications were coming in, but it all seemed like it was under control. It was actually some of their their relatives who were watching it on on television that were texting them saying, you know, uh, Congressman Jim McGovern, he says, you know, in the film that, you know, his daughter texts him saying, what the hell are you still doing there? Because she's watching on TV these these people overwhelming the barricades and he's still there presiding over the house. So really, yeah, I think it's uh, at that point that you mentioned, it's one of the democratic uh, members of Congress. He shouts out, this is because of you across the aisle, because I think it's got to that point of no return there where they suddenly realize actually there's not really a way out and we're going to have to start fighting our way out now. And Capitol police going to have to find an exit route. And it, it basically it got way too far at that point. And I think that's where the tempest started to fray. 
I'll wrap it up with this observation. There's so many people in the film that are articulate and and uh, relatable, and I'll say this on all sides. People that, if as, as I mentioned at the beginning of our interview, people if you met them on the street, you would not presume them to be stalwart Trump supporters. You would just they didn't fit a profile, which again I'm very grateful for in terms of your telling of the story. I think that's important for people to understand that that this isn't some stereotype that we may have constructed in our own mind. There are a lot of people very upset with the direction of the country. And I keep saying this to all of my friends, liberal and otherwise, there's a reason why they're mad. There's a legitimate reason why they seem upset, why they are upset. But the one couple of people, the one in particular was the staffer for Pelosi, the woman that you focus on. I think her story is really one of the more emotionally compelling, the one that resonated with me as much as anybody's. Yeah, that was um, uh, Leah Han, who's a, an assistant staffer in Nancy Pelosi's office. We wanted to speak to the, you know, the kind of high level politicians and the, and the police officers on the front line, but also we're interested in those other people that work in the capital, the staffers. And, you know, she's a young woman who's at the start of her political career and she's not worked that long in uh, Nancy Pelosi's office. And she finds herself on this day, you know, she goes in for it's going to be an important day. So she's just I think she was literally licking envelopes and, and sorting out some of the admin. There's not very many people in because it's COVID time and all of a sudden, you know, they get the the instruction to to kind of shelter in place. And I think it, you know, she really she relays she relays it. You can see how terrifying it is. And the CC, CCTV there that we use kind of illustrates her journey. You know, they all her uh, her colleagues, they kind of huddle and rush to this uh, to this room where they hide under a desk and they all try not to be heard even breathing. And then outside the door, the rioters are kind of trying to smash their way in. And, you know, you can see I think we spoke to her a good few months after, but it's left a huge traumatic impact on her. And, and, you know, she started, she says herself, and when she was under the table hiding in place, she was starting to think about the effect on her family. Uh, she was trying to protect them and the way she was communicating with them. You know, it was just all, all these things were kind of flashing through her mind and it's, uh, it was extremely powerful. I'm just really glad that she decided to send, share that testimony with us because I think it's, it really cuts through. It's very genuine and it's very powerful. Well, thank you. Jamie Roberts, for your work here. Thank you for the film Four Hours at the Capitol. It will be debuting on October 20th on HBO, nine o'clock. Check your local listings, but it says nine o'clock Eastern time. Uh, and uh, be looking for this because it is a fair account. And I think that everyone in the film is treated with a level of respect that uh, that I think really enhances this film and makes it such a worthwhile document. So to you, Jamie Roberts, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. Thanks so much for having me on, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music